Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Tracy Sandler Show brought to you by FIVO Playoff Edition. I just added that in there, but I'm very excited to welcome back to the show NFL Nation on ESPN. I really love referring to you guys as NFL Nation as often as possible. Brady Henderson covering the Seattle Seahawks. He was on the show before the week two game. And now we've come so far since then. We have a wild card matchup between the 49ers and the Seahawks at Levi's Stadium on Saturday at 1.30 Pacific. It'll be the third time these teams meet each other. Brady, not to put you on the spot right from the beginning, but it's three times a charm for the Seattle Seahawks this season. No. It's not. And okay. I know that the saying gets thrown around there where it's hard to beat a team three times in a season. I think that's true when you're talking about before the season, like the odds of a team beating another team three times in a season are low, but it's a hell of a lot easier when one team has already uh, done it twice where you only have to win one game. So I know that saying gets thrown around a lot uh, in situations like these, but it's sort of a fallacy if you're using it to, um, you know, predict the third game. So, and look, we all know we, we've all, seen both of these teams play uh it's been pretty clear which is the superior team and so um i don't think the third time is going to be the charm for the seahawks i'm gonna have to agree with you on that one kyle shanahan was actually asked this in his tuesday press conference and his response was if we had to beat them three times in three days and he wasn't being flippant he's just point was it's really not Hard. And I, a lot of people on the Fort Anner side, and by a lot of people, I mean Twitter, has been talking about how last year the 49ers beat the Rams twice and then they lost them in the NFC Championship game. They did not lose to the Rams because they had to play them three times. There were other reasons that right. they lost to the Rams. But let's talk a little bit about the Seahawks team that I think, you know, game one, they beat the Broncos. Week one, they beat the Broncos. And everyone's like, that's their Super Bowl. They may never win another game this season. And Geno Smith has been quite the surprise for, you know, they've, they've gotten relatively far. They get to the seventh seed. Kind of what have you seen from this team kind of from week one to now that really got them to this point? Yeah. And I was, you know, in that same boat, I, I thought that they had a good roster um, and quarterback was going to be the big question mark. And so I, I didn't see them being in this position. I thought they would win six, maybe seven games. Um, so they've, they've exceeded my expectations and I'll just put that out there. I'm not going to distance myself from uh, everybody who didn't think anything of this team. <laughs> um, but you know, they have, I, I think Gino has come a long way since then. And, um, you know, really that 49ers game, it was sort of an interesting kind of landmark in their season in, in a weird way where their offense got shut out in that game. Uh, it was 27 zero. And remember Seattle's only points came on a special teams touchdown. Um, mm -hmm. and Geno Smith got smothered in that game and their offense didn't do a whole lot, but despite that Pete Carroll saw enough out of him in that game. He saw enough out of their rookie tackles. Um, and also it saw enough from them in the first game too, that he decided that, you know, it was time to start cutting Geno Smith loose. And I think there was you know, maybe some, some holding back in terms of, you know, they were kind of reining him in and reining the offense in over the first couple games kind of get a feel for the rest of the offense. And then, you know, after that game, they started to cut him loose. And um, that sort of opened the door for Geno Smith to have this remarkable breakthrough season. And, um, you know, he, he's sort of hit a rough patch of late with five interceptions uh, over the past five games, uh, had a really rough game in that 49ers rematch. But 
by and large, this has been an excellent season for Geno Smith. And he is, uh, I don't know if he's going to be back in Seattle, to be honest with you, Tracy, but uh, one way or another, he has positioned himself for a nice payday. And in a weird way, uh, that, that week two game at Levi Stadium was, was kind of a landmark in that. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. When you say he let Gino loose, all I can think is let Gino cook. Yeah. I don't know if that's just going to be like a Seattle quarterback thing going forward. Well, it, Russ not cooking in Denver. He's definitely Anything. not. He's definitely not. I don't even think he's post meeting. I don't know what he's doing, but <laughs> it's not great. Yeah, he's eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or something. But uh, you know, and I, and I think the Russell. I also think that's an interesting um, kind of thing to look at when you try to guess what the Seahawks are going to do with Geno. And look, mm-hmm. normally when a guy makes a Pro Bowl, leads the team to the playoffs in the same season, it's a no brainer for that guy to be back. Right. You think, well, okay, they're going to use the franchise tag on him or they're going to sign him to an extension. It's a done deal. It's really not that straightforward with Geno Smith and the Seahawks. And yeah, I mentioned, uh, you know, let's just, let's start with Geno. So he goes Mm -hmm. from being a backup for most of the past seven years. Uh, and he gets in Seattle system as Mm -hmm. a, in their, you know, in his first year as a full-time starter, he goes from a long time backup to a pro bowler. And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson put together this Hall of Fame resume for a decade in Seattle in in that system under Pete Carroll. uh, And then he leaves and he flounders in Denver. And so I have thought for a while now that the Seahawks could look at those two things as really a validation of their system. And Mm -hmm. that would impact Gino because they could say I could see them saying, you know, there's only so high that they're going to go to resign Gino because they feel like. They could, you know, their system could yield similar uh, production from a cheaper alternative, whether it's Drew Lock uh, and or a high draft pick. And so, um, you know, in Carroll, Pete Carroll, he he sort of had a comment that really reinforced that idea of mine when he was asked after the game Sunday, you know, what about Geno Smith's play this season? Uh, what does that tell Carroll about the quarterback situation going forward? And he said, well, we've got a really good system. So um, I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, this is another opportunity for Geno Smith. You know, I, I think he's headed towards free agency, and I think this is another opportunity to to showcase to the rest of the NFL what he could do. So you brought up that December fifteenth game, the the game where the 49ers clinched the division at Lumen Field. It was a little bit of a tougher game for San Francisco. 49ers Seahawks games often tend to be a little weird. Seahawks games generally tend to be weird, but right. 49ers Seahawks games often tend to be a little bit weird. Kyle Shanahan actually said the other day that he thinks the 49ers are a better team than they were December 15th. He also said he thinks the Seahawks are a better team than they were December 15th. So kind of what have you seen from these teams that, that reinforces that idea or on the Seahawks side, maybe doesn't, I totally get what he's saying with San Francisco. You've got Debo back, you've got Elijah Mitchell back. Christian McCaffrey has been in the system longer. Brock Purdy's healthy. He wasn't healthy in that game. We'll get to Brock in a little bit, 
kind of what have you seen, I guess, especially from the Seahawks that reinforces that idea, but also maybe from the 49ers? Yeah, from the Seahawks, I mean, they, they've had such a weird season to where their defense started off really horribly for the third straight mm-hmm. year. Um, and then it got really got on track and then it regressed again to its early season form. And now it's sort of on the upswing again. And so, um, you know, they were, you know, in that game, that was more of the, uh, you know, that was in, in the start of their, you know, that, that really slow start. And, um, you know, I think even in the first game against the Buccaneer or against the uh, Broncos, excuse me, you know, there were some, it gave up a lot of yards. There, there was some mm-hmm. things they didn't do really well there, but it was sort of camouflaged because they got those two red zone takeaways uh, with the force fumbles at the goal line. And so I, th- I think the Seahawks have a better defense now than they did, but it's been so up and down this year that you don't really know which of those um, is going to show up. And so I just think that for a lot of reasons, this is a really bad matchup for the Seahawks because you know, the 49ers are an excellent running team. And Pete Carroll has said mm-hmm. that their run game is as hard as any uh, teams in the NFL to defend because of the variety um, and because of all the things they can do with, with uh, use check and how they can make different plays look similar with him on the field. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really been Seattle's defense's Achilles heel is, is stopping the run. I think their secondary has been, you know, their past defense has been pretty good, especially when you consider they've got a rookie uh, at one starting quarterback spot in Tariq Wollin. They've got a rookie nickelback. They've got a first time starter at the other cornerback spot in Mike Jackson. They're down to their second and third string strong safeties because of Jamal Adams injury. And then Ryan Neal's been out the last three weeks. Um, so the back end of their defense has been pretty good. Quandre Diggs has had a, a nice season, uh, but the run defense has really struggled, and that's why this is just a really bad matchup for them. You mentioned Jamal Adams, and I'd kind of forgotten that he was on this team. It's just, yeah. and that happens when a player gets injured so early, and the season is so long, you forget, even with a superstar like Jamal Adams. And I wonder, gosh, how team, how good the team could have been. How yes, how good the team could have been had he not gotten hurt. Yeah, he was injured, I think, in the first half of the first game of the season. It was a, mm-hmm. a knee injury that required season-ending surgery, and so they've basically played the entire season without him. And, you know, that, that was a big loss for them, um, not just because, you know, he's, he's you know, one of their highest-paid guys. Uh, he was really somebody that they thought was going to have a bounce-back season, and he was mm-hmm. – you know, they, they have a new defense this year where it's a lot more of a 3-4 uh, than it has been in the past, and it was really going to highlight their safety play. And I think you were going to see Jamal Adams sort of be a menace and bouncing around, um, moving back and forth, and getting back to the blitzing force that he was in 2020 when he set the single-season record for sacks by a defensive back with nine and a half. Um, so they really missed, have missed his pass rush. They've also missed his run defense. And, and I know for all of the you know well-deserved criticisms about Jamal Adams uh, pass coverage, which definitely is a deficiency in his game. He's an mm-hmm. excellent blitzer and mm-hmm. uh, he's a really good sort of run defender, uh, you know, sideline to sideline, big hitter comes downhill. And uh, again, that's been their defense's Achilles heel is, is bad tackling and not being physical enough in run defense. And he would have gone a long way in correcting some of the issues that they've had. So let's talk defense since that's the, the what we were just discussing on the Seattle Seahawks side 49ers obviously one of the top defenses in the league Nick Bosa is the sack leader if there is a weakness on this 49ers team when we talk about injuries uh, the 49ers lost Emmanuel Mosley at corner early in the season and I felt then and I have talked about it at nauseum I do think that is is probably one of their worst injuries and could be an issue in the playoffs but we saw 
in the December 15th game, Charvarius Ward and DK Metcalf certainly have words. But if there is any weakness, it's on the other side with Diamador Lenore. But I think they can work around that. I mean, this, this 49ers defense, you saw this team in 2019. I know they hate the comparisons, but it does feel like it might be even more complete. What, what have you seen from them? Yeah, I, I see a, the best defense in the NFL, and I'm, I'm not breaking any news on this podcast because it, yeah, you sure you know that as well. And anybody We're going to do a sound here. It's going to be like, rawr, rawr. Yeah, breaking <laughs> news alert. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's just, it's physical, it's fast. Uh, the front, you know, the, the defensive front really gets after quarterbacks, and I, I don't know how Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa doesn't win defensive uh, player of the year when you get 17, and you're up in this high teens. 18 That's, and a half. 18, 18 and a half. Yeah. Back. I mean, that's, give me a break. Like that's, that's gotta happen. Um, and so, yeah. And, and you know, that I know what you were saying about the cornerbacks being a rough spot and you said that they could probably work around it. I, I guess what you're getting at is, you know, a really good pass rush can take some of the pressure off defensive yeah. backs and uh, make life easier on those guys by making the quarterback, you know, get the ball out, uh, just a tick faster or if they could even get it out in the first place. And so, um, I think that's the, the 49ers are in a lot of ways what the Seahawks want to be uh, and what mm-hmm. they were, you know, a, a, almost a decade ago. And if the Seahawks are going to get back, if the Seahawks are going to, you know, bridge what right now is a very sizable gap between the 49ers and themselves, then they've got to, I think, start to build up their defense or continue to build up their defense to the level that San Francisco's is at right now. Do you think, and this is probably a completely unfair question and it's probably totally putting you on the spot. Do you think it's better than that 2019 defense? You know, I, I probably don't have a great feel for that just because I don't remember a lot of the, uh, I, it's hard to know, like the, the side-by-side, the name-by-name comparisons. They, right. That team did have Bosa, right, as a rookie? Yes, it did. He was, he was a rookie. Yeah, Fred Warner. So, um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember that defense being the number one defense in the NFL, unless I'm mistaken. So It wasn't the number one. It was up there. Right. Um, it was that defense. It was a big defensive play that won the game to win the NFC West. That's right. Jacob Hollister at the goal line. I think there's people uh, with the Seahawks who still are convinced that he crossed the goal line there uh, mm-hmm. and are convinced that San Francisco should have been called for pass interference in the end zone before that. So, but that was a, that was a great game week 17. It all came down to that. Um, I would just, at least based off memory, I would probably go this 49ers defense. Cause I don't remember mm-hmm. it being as dominant than as it is now the thing that's also rather incredible about this 49ers defense is the depth i mean they played a big chunk of the season without eric armstead and they were still fantastic they played a lot of the season without javon kinlaw just the depth along the line of this defense i think to me is one of the things that makes it so incredible is that you lose superstars and they don't really miss a beat the stars come back and you can see why they're stars i mean eric armstead has made a tremendous difference since he's been back, but when he was out, they really, they don't miss a beat. I mean, that's, I think to me, one of the things that's so incredible about this defense is just the depth and their ability to, to play at such a high level, no matter who's out there. Yeah. And and I remember watching that week, week 15 game. And one thing that really stood out to me is how much more physical uh, San Francisco's linebackers are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fred Warner and and, uh, Dre Greenlaw are than Seattle's and and look Seattle I think one of the strengths of their team is that they are really fast Pete Carroll has said that this is uh, maybe the fastest team he's had in Seattle but I think in some spots that speed has come at the expense of physicality and this is not you know 
uh, this is not Bobby Wagner and, and KJ Wright in that era. Like th- these are, are faster guys who are a little bit smaller uh, at linebacker and aren't as physical. And that really stood out to me watching the 49ers and watching the way uh, Greenlaw and uh, Fred Warner would take on blocks and they would shed offensive linemen. And when they're making tackles, it's at or behind the line of scrimmage. It's not they're letting offensive linemen get on them in the second level and they're sort of catching ball carriers, you know, for four or five yard gains. I think that's the difference between these two teams. One of them, one of many. <laughs> one of many, definitely one of many. You mentioned the linebackers, so just some little news, at least early in the week. Uh, we're recording this a little earlier in the week, but Dre Greenlaw was back at practice. That was big for San Francisco. Uh, on offensive line, Aaron Banks is back at practice. So that's the other thing the 49ers have going for them. They're an incredibly healthy at the moment. And for a team that had so many injuries early in the season and for a 49ers Twitter that was freaking out about it, they are in the best possible place they could be right now. And they've taken that 10-game win streak into the playoffs. So let's talk 49ers offense because I don't know if you heard, but they're on their third quarterback. I don't want to surprise you with any more breaking news, but they are on, which is, I mean, in some ways I kind of think Kyle Shanahan, I don't know that he's locked it up, but has certainly made himself a big part of the conversation for coach of the year that he is now on his third string quarterback and his third string quarterback. Isn't a seven year backup like Geno Smith who's come in. I mean, his third string quarterback is a a rookie, Mr. Relevant, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But it's pretty amazing. In that December 15th game, as I alluded to earlier, Brock Purdy was hurt. For me, that was the game that gave me confidence that he can take this team as far as they want to go because he came in to Seattle, one of the tougher places to play in a division game, hurt on four days rest and still played well. And they won the game and clinched the division. It's a really great story, this Brock Purdy story. The remains to be seen. Does it have a storybook ending? I, I, I don't think the 49ers won't get to where they want to be because of Brock Purdy, but the playoffs are different. And that's kind of, that's where things change no matter what. I know everybody likes to say it's just another game and we've been looking at it as a one week season for the last 10, but it's, it's not a, now it really is a one week season. And I imagine mentally that has to have a little bit of an effect on a person. Yeah, and, and I'm right there with you on on Shanahan being coach of the year. I mean, when you're talking about getting, I mean, they might be the best team in the NFC. I know the mm-hmm. Eagles are the number one seed, but I I think the 49ers are a better team than Philadelphia right now. Not certainly not by like a wide margin, but I I think they are slightly better than them. And um, I'm just thinking back to that Week 15 game again. That play that Shanahan drew up, where Purdy faked the screen to one side, faked it back to the left side and then hits George Kittle uh, up the seam for a touchdown. That was one of the coolest plays I've, I've seen in a long time. I, I was ready to give Shanahan coach of the year just for that play alone. <laughs> but um, no, I, you know, we talked about the Seahawks system earlier, and I think the 49ers are maybe an even better example of how a mm-hmm. system uh, can get the most out of a quarterback. And, and you know, I asked Pete Carroll about this earlier this week, and, and he made the point that you know he, Carroll likes to look at like his ideal way of, uh, of a quarterback playing is like an NBA point guard and mm-hmm. more of the John Stockton point guard than the James Harden point guard. And what he okay. means is like, um, he doesn't, he, he doesn't want to have to ask a quarterback to take a seven step drop, survey the field, go through all of his reads and then have him fire this, you know, really difficult throw into a tight window, 25 yards down the field. He doesn't want to have to ask a quarterback to do that every play. Uh, he wants a quarterback to get the ball out, 
and to put the quarterback in position to let his playmakers do a lot of the work, meaning put them in position to run after the catch, give the quarterback high percentage, easy throws that get the ball out and and really have it be more of the playmakers who are carrying the load. And so I think you're seeing that Brock Purdy is a really good example of that. And and who's got better run after the catch ability than some of those guys with the 49ers, whether it's Debo uh, or George Kittle. And so I I think Brock Purdy is really sort of an example of what Pete Carroll, uh, sort of what he wants an offense to ask of its quarterback. And what's interesting after last week's game, it was the first time that the 49ers and Brock Purdy have 100% voiced that. I mean, everyone has talked about his confidence and his poise, and they continue to talk about that. But Brock Purdy said, I don't need to put the weight of the world on my shoulders. We have a number of playmakers around us, and all I need to do is do my job to get them the ball. And some of the guys said that after the game. And it was the first time they've just flat out voiced that. I think that's it's been understood. And I think that is going to be the difference for him in the playoffs. It is not Brock Purdy having to win playoff games. It's Brock Purdy having to get Debo Samuel the ball to win playoff games, Christian McCaffrey the ball to win playoff games, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's the 49ers defense putting Brock Purdy in the offense in a position to just have to score enough points to win. And I think that's a really good position to be in. You don't normally get to be a third string quarterback coming in in this kind of situation. It's a similar situation as Trey Lance was coming into. Very rarely are you the number three pick in the draft coming into a essentially Super Bowl roster. So I think that that is a big benefit. Uh, I mentioned Christian McCaffrey. We're 20 minutes in the podcast and we haven't even really gotten to him in this trade the 49ers made you know, before the Chiefs game, which was very much, I guess, a turning point for them. The game was after they lost that, but he's been absolutely incredible. And I think you watch Christian McCaffrey and you realize he really is just built different. And he is a, he is just a tremendous game changer for them. He is. Yeah. And I remember thinking that when that trade went down, that there's probably not a a more dangerous combination at running back than Mm -hmm. Christian McCaffrey and his skill set going into that offense uh, with how Kyle Shanahan can get everything out of running backs um, and just the play design and the brilliant play caller that he is. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he's, and I know I've, I've, I've seen uh, you guys on the 49ers beat right about it, like how much he's transformed uh, their offense and just the the per game, like the point per game difference is really stark. And um, I mean, that's, that's what you hope for when you give up what they gave up to get him. And, And I know that, you know, there was some, conversation when they made the trade of you know that they gave up too much um and certainly it was a gamble because of his injury history uh and it was a lot to give up for anybody um Mm -hmm. but i was sort of of the mind that look you're you're in kind of go for it mode if you're in san francisco and you know you've already are missing the draft capital uh from the lance trade still i think they're still sort of paying off that debt right draft capital wise Mm -hmm. so they are and you know look at the the rams were clearly down uh the rest of the division was not it wasn't like anybody was um you know looking like they were otherwise going to run away with it so i I liked it it was a bold move i I think that um we as observers and maybe even some teams tend to overvalue uh draft capital and look it's it's for good reason that's like the lifeblood of a team but when you've got an opportunity to add a guy who could put you over the top then I, I think it's it's a worthwhile price, and, it, and again, it was a gamble because the injury history. But uh, there's no doubt now that it's paying off, and I think you know, McCaffrey just adds to that idea of you know not 
uh, of Purdy not needing to to carry the load, and he's probably in the best situation. Like if you were to, to say a, a quarterback, um, a seventh round rookie, has to be put into a starting lineup uh, to keep a team's Super Bowl hopes alive, there there couldn't be a better team to do that with. Again, Shanahan and their playmakers uh, than the 49ers are. So he's in a good spot. And, and I, you know, the idea we talked about of him not having to shoulder the load, I think people might hear that and think, well, you're just talking about the vault, the number of times you ask him to, to throw the ball in a game. That's not really it. You know, there's, as you know, there's been times where he's thrown it over well over 30 times in a game. So it's, it's not, it's not solely that it's, it's just getting the ball in the playmakers hands and letting them do the work. I mean, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl in the 2019 season with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball 12 times in a yeah, playoff game right. and the 49ers annihilating the Vikings. <laughs> so exactly, yeah. that's something to to keep in mind. And, you know, as far as McCaffrey goes, it's interesting on the injury history thing because he definitely had the the issues. But when you look back on it, it's been a few years since he's really had injury issues. He's actually been healthy the last few years. And at the time, a lot of people likened it to the trade for Emmanuel Sanders that they did in 2019, which they really needed that. They needed that to get to the Super Bowl. The difference here being is that I think everyone knew Emmanuel Sanders was a little bit more of a rental. Christian McCaffrey, I think, will be in San Francisco for a very long time, if not the rest of his career. And that, you know, makes a big difference too. It's about this year and about the future. So um, yeah, definitely was, was a good one. They, they gave up a fifth round pick for him. That was one of them. And that's where the 49ers strike gold. So that was the big joke of like, wow, they must really have wanted him. <laughs> they were going to give up a fifth round pick. That's where that is their, the fifth round. They shouldn't draft in any of the other rounds. They should just get seven fifth round draft picks. Well, who, who have they gotten in the fifth round? Well, there's George Kittle. Ah, okay. Elijah Mitchell and Fred Warner, I believe. Well, there you go. There you go. I, I could be wrong that Elijah was a sixth rounder, but I think he was a fifth rounder. But so, the point remains either way. They've, they've had success. Either way, George Kittle and Fred Warner were for sure fifth rounders. So yeah. not, not too bad. Uh, not too bad for them at all. All right. So I think we've talked about all of the things, except the one thing we haven't talked about is a joint love for peanut butter whiskey. And if you guys haven't tried it, it's amazing. Yeah. Brady got me into it after the December 15th game. Not even a whiskey drinker. So I just wanted to bring that up, Brady. Have you had any since I last saw you? Uh, I have. I had a glass, yeah, with some friends. It's a screwball whiskey. I, I, there may be other peanut butter whiskeys, but I can vouch for screwball, and, and uh, so can Tracy. It's it's quite good. And I'm sure that whoever invented that is making a whole lot of money right now. Yes, and if the 49ers win, you guys should all drink peanut butter whiskey to celebrate. Uh, okay, Brady, I'm going to make you do a game prediction because – that's fun, even though I'm terrible at them, but I still, I do them every week and I make everybody else do them. Uh, I'm not so bad at figuring out who's going to win. I'm really awful at scores, just abominably bad, okay. but doesn't stop me, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll kind of talk through this one bef- and maybe uh, try to figure out my pick as I go here. So I, okay. 49ers scored 27 points in the first meeting. They scored 21 in the second meeting, but that was really, I think, misleading because they had the pick six. Uh, that mm-hmm. was negated by an after-the-fact roughing penalty. So there's seven points mm-hmm. there. Um, and they broke off the long run at the end of the game uh, to get right near the goal line, and they would have scored there at least three points had they not just knelt out the clock. And so I would say that's it was a 21-point game for the 49ers, but really was more like a 31-point game. So mm-hmm. I will go somewhere in the middle there, and I'll say 
Uh, and they didn't have Debo Samuel back in that game. So I'll maybe go on the Crap. higher end of that and say that they scored 29 points um, and the Seahawks scored 13. Okay. 29-13. Don't ask me I how like they the get 29. to 29. That's sort of a weird number. but uh, I like it, though. I'm sure there's a way that they can do it, maybe miss an extra point or uh, maybe, I don't know, score like, uh, four safeties or something like that. Uh, maybe that might help. Four safeties would be amazing. I mean, if I, I wouldn't put it past them. So 29-16. <laughs> Did I say 29-16 or 29-13? 29-13. 13 originally, but you yeah. can change it to 16 if you want. Let's, let's get weird. Let's go 29-15. Okay. And so I'll get weird too. I'm going to go 33-11. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. I'm writing <laughs> these down, by the way. 29-15. Yeah, please do. <laughs> 29-13 and 33-11. San Francisco, by the way, in case anybody was <laughs> okay. concerned on who I was, who I was picking with that one. But if it ends up being 33-11 Seattle, then that is the weirdest of them all, and I can't wait to write about it. That'll just be amazing. Yeah, 11 and 15. Those are scores that you don't really get a whole lot, but uh, we'll <laughs> no. see. Well, but the 49ers... We're in a game against the aforementioned Russell Wilson and Denver Broncos and lost that game, believe 11 to 10. So it does happen. It can happen. And it's, it's wild card weekend. So let's get wild. It's actually super wild card. Super weekend. wild card. Let's get super. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to <laughs> correct you there, but it is super wild card weekend. Well, Brady, this was a super fun show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for super wild card weekend. Please let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, at Brady Henderson on Twitter. Awesome. And ESPN. You guys, we are brought, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? And ESPN.com, of course. And ES, oh yeah, small. It's like this. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. ESPN.com up and coming. I think they're going to do big things. It's startup. Yep. We need, we yeah. So please ball. make sure to follow Brady and the rest of NFL nation. You guys, we are brought to you by bet online. You can follow us on Instagram at fangirl sports network. You can follow me on Twitter at 49ers Fangirl, on Instagram at Tracy Sandler. That was so much information I just gave you, gave you guys. But with that in mind, please give us five stars. Leave us a glowing super review. And I'll talk to everyone next week after the 49ers have either won or their season is over. Who's to say? All right, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.